Well, good morning. My name is Taylor Doe. I also go by T Doe. That's my nickname. I got in the fifth grade, and it's just kind of followed me kind of every stage of my life. So I go by T Doe as well. Uh, I'm excited to, to be here with you guys today. Uh, I love talking about this topic and love to get you guys' insight. We'll have a little bit of a discussion. Our panel's awesome. So we'll kind of jump right in. When uh, I look at different business incubators or read different leadership books or leadership conferences, I see people starting off in leaders talking about where you currently are, where you currently sit as a leader, the power, the influence that you guys have currently in the seats that you're at. And what I'm more curious about and what I've been doing research and interviewing people on is how they actually got into those positions. And so today we're gonna kind of unpack some of those, uh, those moments that help us get to where we're at. And so I'm gonna give you a little background. I uh, currently live on the east side of Oklahoma City, um, have lived over there for about a decade. I worked in schools uh, on different initiatives. I just try to be a good neighbor. Uh, and I met this young guy when he was in the third grade. His name's Demarion. Uh, Demarion, third grade. Now he's a senior at Douglas High School. Uh, he's top of his class. He is uh, interested in business and entrepreneurship. He currently lives with me right now uh, until he graduates. Uh, and so we're always talking about business stuff uh, and ideas and pitch decks and all the, all, all the different things. But he had that interest several years ago. Um, he got a job at Kane's Chicken, which I wasn't mad about because I love chicken strips. I still eat like a child. Uh, so I'm happy that he gets this job here. I was helping his mom uh, get him to and from work occasionally. And so when I would take him, we would listen to different business podcasts on the way. One was uh, How I Built This. I don't know if any of you have uh, heard about this podcast. Essentially, it's kind of a long-form podcast that interviews business leaders on their stories of success. Uh, it's really well produced. Uh, it's an interesting podcast. And as we would drive, uh, Demarion would just kind of hit pause and ask me questions uh, while, while we were driving in the middle of the podcast. And he would, he would say, Tito, how did that guy get a job at the graphic design studio without any graphic design experience? And I was like, okay. And then we'd keep listening to the podcast. He would pause it. Tito, how did that lady get how did she know people who had $10,000 to loan her to start her business? Okay, another podcast, he pressed pause. Tito, how did he get into the tech lab after it was closed, like after hours, to learn how to code and then start his tech business? And so when he would ask those questions, it really hit me that as leaders, we leave out crucial details of how we get to where we're at. And so driving in that car, those, those questions kind of just kept, kept hitting me that we leave out these important details. And so when we typically tell our story, we kind of just hit the high points. When we, when we win an award, you hit your high points, you give a bio um, for brevity's sake, for short, you know, we don't have all day to hear your story, right? You have three minutes to tell your story. You have to just hit the high points and, and kind of keep it moving. Uh, and so that's where uh, I want to kind of stop and sit for just a second. I want to tell you uh, my bio really quick. It's kind of hard to see here, but uh, I finished high school and then I attended the University of Oklahoma. Uh, and then I joined a fraternity. And then I started a campus organization. And then I worked at an energy company doing community outreach for them. And then I started a business with my brother. So that's my short, short bio. But what I want to highlight here, and you can kind of see this, I circled these statements and then. And so what I didn't tell you was number one, I attended the University of Oklahoma because my parents could afford for me to go there. 
Uh, they could also afford me number two for me to be in a fraternity. I'll skip over to another one getting a job in Oklahoma City. When I was in the fraternity, I lived with this guy named Daniel, and his mom was senior vice president of the energy company that I got a job at after college. So she made an introduction, said, hey, there's this kid, he has a nickname Tito, he's running around, he started this campus organization, uh, I want to make an introduction to the head of community outreach. I met with him and it turned into an internship and a, and, a, and a job, which allowed me to be on the east side, which allowed me to start this business, all of kind of that, that rolling thing. So these are what I call and then moments. The moments that fall in between are high points that actually allow us to get to do what we want to do. These and then moments kind of disguise some advantages that I've had, relational networks that I've had, uh, as well as safety nets and open doors uh, that have allowed me to be in this position today to do some other projects and, and businesses that I've wanted to do. And so there's actually a lot of moments, a lot of things that make up and then moments. And we're not gonna talk about all of these, but I wanna talk about one with you guys today. And so I'll, I'll bump this out here and we'll talk about relational capital. And so relational capital is also like your network, your social network, you've kind of heard of that uh, before. This is where I wanna kind of sit for a second. And so uh, my grandpa is one of my superheroes or was, he passed away last year. In the last few years, I've been documenting stories. So anytime I'd go up to Illinois, I would get out my iPhone, tripod, and we just kind of talk, or voice memos anytime we'd talk on the phone, anything like that. So before he passed, I wanted his and then moments. I've been wrestling with this concept with him and, and other people. And so I said, Grandpa, let's, let's just start from the beginning. I'll give you the short version here. He said, I said, Grandpa, so tell me about the jobs you had growing up. He said, all right, Tay, I grew up poor in Fort Wayne, Indiana in the 1930s and 1940s. And my, my dad, your great-grandfather, worked in the foundry. Uh, I started off by starting a newspaper uh, route. It's kind of hard to see here. Uh, when I was in middle school, then in high school, uh, I started working at Craig's Market uh, along with doing the paper route. And then uh, right after high school, I got a job at the Tokheim factory uh, that made gas pumps. And it paid really well that I was able to actually afford to go to college and not have to work in college and just focus on my studies. So I was like, all right, well, let's talk about the first, first one, your newspaper route. How did you get a bicycle to start your paper route? He's like, well, now that I think about it, my uncle gave me a bicycle to start that. But I, I scaled up and I had two paper routes and I bought this red Schwinn bike. He would always talk about this red Schwinn bike. It's like, all right, cool. Well, what about Craig's Market? How'd you get a job there? Did you apply, you know, open applications? No, he, he said, no, uh, Mr. Craig just lived in our neighborhood. It was kind of a neighborhood market. And I knew his younger son and he knew my dad and it was just kind of really informal. We just passed out coupons uh, in the neighborhood. Okay, Grandpa, tell me about the good job, like the, the Tokheim factory job that was able, you know, to really uh, give you the opportunity to go to college. He's like, well, the next door neighbor was the hiring manager. And I actually didn't have a car, couldn't afford a car back then, so he would actually take me to and from work uh, to get there and back. So he tells me this, and I do a little bit more research, and I find the 1940 census in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I actually find the man's name. And his, his name is Ray Simmons. That's my grandpa's neighbor. And so this is the, what I call the Ray Simmons effect that there are people in our lineage, in our story, 
that have never been told. I'd never heard this man's name in 30 years of my life. I've never heard Ray Simmons until I asked about his story and did a little more research. So these are the people who unlock opportunities, who give us knowledge that we hadn't had that make us take our next step, who take us to and from work uh, in, in all of those things. We won't get it into it too deep, but something that I think about a lot is the disparity in opportunity. And so I did more research and found that no black people could live in my grandpa's neighborhood back when he was growing up. And so now we're talking about closed and open opportunities for different people. So that'll be something we can talk about later. But that was something that I found. I was like, okay, my grandpa lived here. Uh, people of color couldn't even be neighbors with Ray Simmons back then for that opportunity to even be available. So I've really been wrestling with even that, that concept as well. And so these, this is, like I said, um, the, the Ray Simmons effect. And I want to pause here real quick to say that I'm not saying my grandpa didn't work hard. I'm not saying he wasn't clever, creative, have the right skills to work at the, the gas pump factory. I'm mainly interested in the nuances of how he got that, that opportunity. So I would love if you guys would be willing to share, maybe a few of you, is there someone who in your life, you can say their name, uh, who unlocked new knowledge for you, who opened a door of opportunity for you, maybe that you've never told anyone. I've been doing interviews with people who have shared how their parents have helped them with a down payment on their house or how a neighbor gifted them a car you know, when they were 16 to be able to, to drive around. Are there any stories that come to mind when we're kind of talking about this topic? The thing that I've been wrestling, and I'll get emotional too if we keep talking about this. I'm, I cry at commercials, so. Uh, <laughs> The, the thing I think about is the natural posture that comes after processing through your story. And I think it's humility. That you sit and say, there have been people in my life who have unlocked opportunities outside of my hard work that I wouldn't be in my seat today if I didn't have them. Or my life would look different if these people didn't come and touch my life, open doors in that way. And so the question that I've been processing is, what if something as simple as radical humility could help all people thrive? I think when you're in that posture of humility, your eyes are open to see different things, your ears are open to hear different things, your wallet is open in ways that haven't been to invest in someone you wouldn't typically invest in or take a shot in hiring someone that wasn't your fraternity brother's son or you know, your, your nephew or anything like that. These are challenging questions for me on how I move around and how I, with little opportunity that I think I have, steward that in the city. And so if we as leaders continue to take that position, I think we're gonna be able to see more of our city thrive. And so one of the key takeaways, and this is kind of the longer form, is radical humility is the ongoing posture leaders must take to impact the communities around them and unlock opportunities for all people to thrive. And so I'll just sit, sit there for a second on that one. And so you can be someone's and then moment. I think something that's really humbling to think about is Ray Simmons' name was never said in our family. And not, I don't even think my grandpa, he wasn't hiding it, it just wasn't, it's not a part of our narrative that we, we share, but what, how many people's lives are you gonna impact that your name is never gonna be said? That you do it for zero credit? 
Or what if we start pushing to say these names and make it more normal to say these names of people? So when you go home tonight and talking with your children or your families or your extended family, hey, <laughs> you might see Tito up here, but let me tell you, if it wasn't for my dad, my grandpa, Lance Humphrey, Brian Banks, Justin King, Waylon Cute, I can say all these names, I promise you I would not be standing here. And so I want my kids someday, I don't have any kids yet, they're going to know the names of people who have impact and the unlocked opportunity for me. They're gonna know my and then moments. As well as I hope they see my hard work, my creativity, the way I give, all of that, but they're also going to hear those names. Yeah, I, I think in different conversations we have, there are definitely words that are kind of like flashbangs. Uh, I've been in the conversation on race for many years with, with people and there's words that when you throw out, it's kind of like a flashbang and people don't hear anything that you say after that and humility might be one of those, so I need to practice and, and run that by people more. I think in this context, um, I don't always use this language. Uh, I think in this context, as we're talking about redemptive entrepreneurship and being people who um, see this in other people, I'm more prone to use, use that terminology. I've, I'm in business rooms as well, uh, and I think what really is challenging to the conversation is just the narrative that America has told of just like work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so that's what I'm pushing back against. Um, I've done, uh, at the end of last year, I did 50 in-depth interviews with people and recorded all of it uh, in them sharing moments like this of down payments that they got help on with their house, uh, doors that were open for jobs, cars that were bought to help them get around. Uh, I mean, I could literally name you. I mean, I talked with this lady who, has a be who had a Beanie Baby empire in her and then moment before kind of building that uh, and then crashing, obviously, because they're not worth anything now. But... Uh, it, it's really, it's been really interesting hearing people's vulnerability, like literally on the phone, they're like, Tito, I've never shared this with anyone. Like my wife and my dad are the only people who know this. Like we stayed rent free while we were building our business for 18 months, getting our business off the ground. So I'm not asking you to share any of that, but these are some things that come to mind as I share this of like, okay, here were some safety nets. Here were some trampolines that allowed us to bounce up. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. For sure, I think, I think uh, there is some tenderness with this topic uh, because when you start talking about this, this is when advantages and disadvantages really play, right? So with the ladies that you serve, if their and then moments tick one way or the other, their life's completely different. I, w I was born into a house where the, <laughs> my mom was a doctor. I didn't choose that. I didn't choose Disney vacations. I didn't choose X, Y, and Z. So it, that's what humbles me is like, literally I could have been born in a different situation and my life would be completely different. And so I think coming from that posture really changes the conversation. The other thing that we won't get into today is transferred trust, which is huge. So none of, no opportunity flows without trust being built. And so there's some that you are born into, there's some that you build, there's networks that you get into, that you pay to get into, there's, there's ones that you stumble into, that allow you to build trust with others that then unlock opportunity. No one's out here just giving $50,000 to a random stranger on the corner to help start their business. It was, hey, Dan and I played indoor soccer together, which none of you guys knew, and we played indoor soccer for three years together. We haven't played together in three years. You can tell by this right here in the pandemic, I haven't played indoor soccer, but we have that trust built up. 
We did this low barriers trust building. I saw how he worked. He has a great personality, all these things. And now I'm starting to write a book and he knows a publisher. And I text Dan, Dan, hey, do you know anyone, blah, blah. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. All these things. And it's because we have this trust already built up. And so the challenge here is what do you do with a city that hasn't been able to build trust across racial and economic lines? Because as a business owner, you guys are starting, your business is so volatile right now, you cannot take a chance on some random person who puts in an application. No one is cold hiring at this stage of your business. And so who are you going to hire? You're going to hire someone you trust, you're going to hire your next door neighbor's son who you've seen grow up because you have that trust built. So when we talk about inequality and building opportunity for other people, trust has to be at the core of it. So no one's giving out free rent for a year. <laughs> To, to people. It was through a relationship. 